tonight and everyone who joins on the live. Uh, tonight we are continuing the series that we have been in for the last uh, several weeks uh, as we've been talking about the seven deadly sins in scripture. And the series has been called Lost in the Garden. And so we've looked at uh, how sin and how these seven deadly uh, sins affect our lives and how we can overcome them through scripture. Uh, and so we started out several weeks ago, we talked about pride, and we talked about how pride is uh, kind of the foundation of all sins, where we all struggle with pride, and ultimately that pride is what leads us to other sins. And we talked about, after that, we talked about self-indulgence. We talked about laziness and gluttony, overindulgence. Uh, and then we moved on last week, and we talked about something, again, that I think a lot of us have in our lives, something that we hold on to. And that is anger. Uh, and so this week, uh, we are going to talk about the sixth deadly sin in our series. Uh, and last week, uh, when, when we were talking about anger, I used the illustration of fire to kind of depict it. Tonight, I want to use a different example. Uh, it's a gun. Okay. Now, before you go, oh, no, Nathan brought a gun to church. Nathan did not bring a gun to church. He just took a picture of one. Uh, and so I want to use this example of a gun. You know, I thought about just bringing my gun, just the handle with everything taken out of it. But I just had a feeling someone would go home to mom and say, hey, mom, Nathan brought a gun to church. Uh, it was just a handle, but he brought a gun to church. And so we opted just for a picture. Uh, but many of you, you, you may have seen a gun before. You may not have seen a gun. But the point is, is we all know what a gun is, okay? And in the hands of the right person, this gun can have several good purposes. Sometimes it can be a means of survival. A lot of people use guns to hunt, right, to, to get food. Sometimes Bambi's just chilling in the woods and kapow, right? We just got to get some deer meat because we're hungry, uh, and, and deer tastes, hey, it tastes really good. If you've never tried it before, I highly recommend it. But in the hands of the wrong person, this gun transforms from a means of sometimes survival, sometimes a means of defense, to a means of destruction. Right? So this gun is dependent on the person who is using it. This gun can be good in the right hands, but can bring death and destructions and destruction when it's in the wrong hands. And this deadly sin of lust is just like a gun. It lust in the right hands when it's used the way that, uh, that God intended for sexuality to be used is something that is good, that is said by God to be good, but when it's used outside of the way that God intended it, it can be incredibly destructive. Now before we get into this message, I just want to, as a side note, I just want us to be honest with ourselves. I, I know this is everyone's favorite topic to talk about. Everyone loves talking about lust and sexuality. I No, that's completely false. 
I know as students, this is something that you don't like to talk about. It's awkward sometimes. Uh, You feel like you're just getting the sex talk. And and hear me when I say, you're not getting the sex talk tonight. You're not. Tonight, I want us to be honest with ourselves. I don't want us to just brush off this topic because this topic is something that a lot of you, a lot of us, we struggle with. And it goes beyond just having sex. And so we're not just talking about sex tonight. We're talking about lust, which is so much bigger than one thing. And I think we need to understand that even though this topic may be awkward, it may be uncomfortable, we may not like it, it's extremely important to talk about. Because if we don't talk about this this topic, if we don't talk about this subject, we are exactly where Satan wants us to be. Because if we are uncomfortable talking about this topic, if we are unwilling to talk about this topic, then we will never come to understand the destruction that can come from this sin when it is used outside of the way that God intended for sexuality to be used. Let me tell you why this is such an important topic. I think it's important for us to understand how big of an issue lust is in our world, in our society, in our culture. Did you know 30% of the material on the, inter- on the internet is deemed pornographic? 30%. That means one in three websites is porn. One in three. 30%. means every time you get online, you have a 30% chance Every time you click a link of that website being pornographic. You may say, well, that's just a personal problem. Okay, well, let me take it a a further step to an even more destructive level. Statistically, every 98 seconds, someone is sexually assaulted in this country. Every 98 seconds. That is destructive. And that has eternal impacts on someone's life. And that is born out of lust. And so this is a a topic that is serious. It's something that we need to talk about and it's something that we need to understand. Because if we don't understand how to handle sexuality, then we're going to be like a child with a gun in our hands. Everyone knows a child with a gun in their hands is bad, bad news. I was reading an article a couple months ago, of these two brothers playing cops and robbers. And, and, and the, one, the one brother saw the dad's gun sitting there, and it was loaded. And the kid didn't know any better. So he picked it up playing cops and robbers, pointed it at his brother, and pulled the trigger. And his brother died. And yes, I am arguing that lust in the hands of someone, sexuality in the hands of someone who doesn't know how to use it, is just as destructive. It's just as destructive. See, God designed sexuality for a purpose. He designed it for a purpose, and outside of that purpose, it is completely destructive. So tonight, as we unpack this topic of lust, we're going to look at three different things. Three different things. We're going to talk about the cause of lust, We're going to talk about the cost of lust and the cure for lust. The cause, the cost, and the cure 
Now, let me tell you just as a side note, let me define lust for you. Lust is simply sexual desires outside of marriage as God has designed it. It's important. The wording of that is incredibly important. Lust is simply sexual desires outside of marriage as God has designed it. As I said, tonight we'll look at the cause of lust, the cost of lust, and the cure for lust. And tonight we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen for you to follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to start out in verses 13 and 14. Here's what uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 14. He says, you say food was made for the stomach, and the stomach made for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Now let me give you some context as to why Paul is writing this. So Paul was really well known for going to different cities and and founding churches. He went to the church of Rome, uh, Corinth. He went to Galatia, which is where we get the book of Galatians. He went to Ephesus, which is where we get the book of Ephesians. And so he writes all these letters to these different churches of different towns. And what's interesting about Corinth and the church in Corinth is this church was founded in in like a modern just hub for human trafficking, if you will. See, the town of Corinth had a temple there to Aphrodite. And if you know anything about Greek mythology, Aphrodite was the goddess of love. And at the temple for Aphrodite, 24-7, you could go in and you could have sex with a temple prostitute. There were just temple prostitutes all in the temple, and 24-7, you could go do whatever you wanted with whoever you wanted in that temple. And so the, the, the town of Corinth had this reputation for being this city that was just full of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. And so that's where Paul is writing this. And he's telling the people in Corinth how their misconceptions about sex uh, are completely wrong. Are completely wrong. And, And he hints there that the people in Corinth viewed sex as something that was just like an appetite. Right? Just just as when they get hungry, they eat food. When they get hungry, they eat food. And he's arguing that when they get horny, they have sex. That, that's how they viewed it, as just fulfilling an appetite. And so Paul is saying that view on sex, that view on sexuality is completely and utterly wrong. And so he says that the cost of lust is our sexual desire. The cause of lust isn't anything physical. It's the sexual desire that is within all of us. We all have it. And so how you use that desire will either cause lust or not. 
See, lust occurs when we handle the desire outside of the way that God intended for it to be handled. And we just clarify something for all of us, because I know when I grew up in the church, as many of you may have learned this in the church too, I, I grew up with this mentality that God was this God who was just like anti-sex, right? Like sex was bad. And, and I remembered youth pastors and, and church leaders are saying, sex is bad, sex is bad, don't have sex, don't have sex. Like it's bad. And so I had this picture all my life that God was just this God who was anti-sex, anti-sexuality. But actually, when we look at Scripture, we don't have to go beyond the first chapter to see that God is very much pro-sex. God is very much pro-sex. When, when he creates Adam, the first command that he gives to man is to be fruitful and multiply which implies that there's going to have to be reproductive actions for that to occur. So God is not a God who is against it. He's a God that is for it in the way that he designed it. And when we look at Genesis chapter 4, we see evidence of how God designed for sexual relations to occur. The first time sex is fully mentioned in scripture is Genesis 4 chapter 1 where it says that Adam and Eve within their relationship as husband and wife had sex had sexual relations and so we see the the way the context that God designed for these type of relationships to occur in the confines of a marriage But when we look at Scripture, there's a reason that he limits the confines. There's a reason he doesn't just say, go and have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want. There's a reason he doesn't say that. There's a reason that sexual relationships in the Bible are only mentioned in the confines of a marriage as God designed it. And that's because he also, while he wants us to have sex. While he's pro-sex, he also wants to protect us. He wants to protect us. You see, God is for sex in the way that he designed it, not in the way that we want it. That's big. God is for sex in the way that he designed it, not in the way we oftentimes want it. God designed it to be in the confines of of a biblical marriage. He did not design it to be something that you just use and enjoy whenever you want. And that is oftentimes where society leads us. That is oftentimes where the world leads us. See, lust is also caused because we allow society to feed this appetite. Let me just give you a couple examples of how society influences and feeds this appetite in our lives. You look at Netflix. There is a show on Netflix called Too Hot to Handle. You may have heard about this show. You may not have. But in this show, Too Hot to Handle, the couple, no joke, the couple that can go the longest without having sex Wins a million dollars. Wins a million dollars. Like, that's where we're at with society. 
that, man, I bet that you can't be the couple to go the longest without having sex. I bet you can't. And if you do, I'll give you a million dollars. That's just pretty low standards in my opinion. Or better yet, (laughs) you look at songs and music. I'm sorry. I'm just, Cardi B, her new song, WAP, you laugh. I read two lines of that song and I wanted to puke. I wanted to puke. Like I, I won't even say what WAP stands for. Because it's just so disgusting. And he, and I, I'm just gonna point to some of the things is people think it's funny. People think it's funny. But what's funny about it? It's disgusting. It's completely disgusting. Like, uh, I, I don't even have words to describe the lyrics other than just wretchedly and horrifically disgusting. Like, why people would listen to that is beyond me. Completely beyond me. But it's just an example of how society takes lust and idolizes it and makes it popular. And how you let it influence your lives. And and that's your modern version of it. When I was growing up, we had our modern versions of it. Low was a song. All throughout the the past generations, there have been songs. Like, this isn't a new thing that society idolizes lust and and sex. It's not new. It's an old thing. It's been a trend for a long time, and it's disgusting. Better yet, you even have movies and shows like Game of Thrones. Look, I've never watched Game of Thrones, and I never will watch Game of Thrones. Because I've heard that Game of Thrones is just full-on, like, nudity. And that's just not something that we need to be exposing ourselves to. And the reason I give you all these examples is because lust is caused because society has desensitized us. Lust is a problem in our lives because society has completely desensitized us. I mean, you don't have to go back very far in history to a a point in time where the first time a guy or a girl would would see the opposite gender in their underwear was like the first night of their honeymoon. Now it's like you turn on the TV and there's a Victoria's Secret commercial or there's a Calvin Klein commercial. And homeboy's just chilling in his Calvin Klein boxers. Like society is just desensitized us. And, And I'm not here to say right or wrong, but like swimsuits, bikinis, like when my grandparents were kids, like bikinis were something that were completely just like unheard of. Like grandparents would have probably dropped dead if they, you know, one of them had come out in a bikini. Their parents probably would have locked them in their room for the rest of their life. And I'm not here to say right or wrong with this. I'm just using this as an illustration as how society has desensitized us over the years. But you even look at just the bikini is an easy thing to point at. I don't know if it's like 
trying to cut cost or something, but even over the last five years, like bikinis, like, I don't know, the fabric has just automatically just somehow gone, whoof, it's just gone. And there's less and less. Five, ten years ago, it, it at least covered something. Now it doesn't cover much at all. And I'm just, I'm just using these examples as, as just showing you that we don't even ask the questions of, is this right or wrong anymore? We don't ask those questions because we're completely desensitized by it from society. It's just become the new norm. So when we allow society to feed our appetite, it continues to grow. I'll give you another example. It's like getting in a hot tub. Are you ever getting in a hot tub and when you first get in, it's like really hot? What happens after you sit in it for 20 minutes? It's not so hot anymore. That's what desensitization is. That is what society has done to lust. At first, it's, it's just awful. You'd never think that this could be something acceptable, but over time, it becomes a new norm. There's another thing that causes lust in our lives. It's our experiences. Our experiences cause lust. I've told you uh, my personal story many times. Many of you have heard it time and time again. Some of you, uh, you've never heard my story. When I was in the eighth grade, I was exposed to pornography for the first time. Something that took seconds to see and years to get rid of. Seconds to see and years to get rid of. And it's something that caused tremendous lust issues in my life. And, and those experiences in my life fueled lust. Fueled lust. Took seconds to see and years to get over. Years. There's a, a horrible statistic out there that by third grade now, students are exposed to pornography for the first time. By third grade. Third grade. But really, thats I don't know why that's so surprising, because a third, 30% of everything on the website is porn. Heck, you can get on Snapchat or TikTok or Instagram and basically watch porn. It's true. So it, it really is no wonder that a third grader now, a boy or a girl, like, you know, Porn is something a lot of times that's stereotypically pointed towards men, but it's a struggle that girls have just as much. One in three guys struggle with it, and one in five girls struggle with it. That means I could get three guys in here, and I guarantee one of you struggles with porn. I could get five girls in here, and I guarantee you at least one of you is going to have a struggle with porn. That's how big of a problem lust is in our society I want, you, I want us to continue reading in Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 15 through 18, and then we're going to talk about what does lust cost us. So 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 18. Here's what Paul continues to say. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute. Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her. For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 
run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So what are the costs of lust? Lust is a problem, but what does it cost us? How does it hurt us? Well, first we need to understand that it is bonding. It is bonding. And and this can be good or bad. It, It, again, goes back to what context is it in? In a dating relationship, this bonding that occurs between two people is bad. And it will keep you in a relationship far longer than you should ever be in it. It will attach you to that person. And you may see the red flags go off. And maybe you're two months into that relationship and the red flags, the, the warning alarm is going off saying, hey, this isn't the right relationship for you. But you stay in it for two years instead of two months. And you get out of that and you're, you're filled with shame and regret and you're hurt. But this bonding is something that is good in the confines of marriage. Because it bonds the two people together. And so we see how it all depends on the hands that are using it. It all depends on the context that it's in. There's another thing that's going to be really obvious to some of you. That is lust ruins relationships. Lust ruins relationships. It ruins families. It tears families apart. It tears marriages apart. Because cheating is lust. Lust is the number one fueler of divorce. Go figure. Lust is... The single cause, I would argue, of divorce. Statistically, if you have sex in a relationship before you are married, you are way more likely to have your relationship end in divorce. That's a statistic. It's close to 50%. 50%. That's how big of a problem it is. That's how important it is for us to understand how to use it. I want to give you an example. I need two volunteers. Two volunteers. Uh, Brayden and Scarlett. So I've got some water here. Come up here. Come up here. give you each a cup. Don't drink it yet. All right, Scarlett, I want you to drink your cup of water. Drink it all right now. You got to drink it. Drink it. What's wrong with it? It's salty, okay? You drink your water. Pretty good, isn't it? That's some fresh water right there. 
Hey, you can keep your water. You can go back to your seats. Thank you for participating. So I want to compare these two. I want to compare. I want to compare these two things. I want to compare these two things. Because they're both water. In fact, 70% of the earth is covered in water, right? 70% of the earth is covered in water. But only 1.2% of that water is drinkable. Meaning only 1.2% is this fresh water that you can drink and survive on. In fact, when, when people get shipwrecked and they're stranded out at sea, they don't die. The, the number one cause of death isn't because they starved or anything like that or they didn't have water to drink. It was because they got thirsty and started drinking the salt water. They said, man, I'm so thirsty, I'm going to start drinking the salt water. This is the difference between sex in the confines of a marriage that God designed it for and sex in a relationship that is not how God designed it. They're both sex. But one brings life and one brings destruction. One you can survive on. The other will destroy relationships and will destroy you. That's how important it is. See, I, I, I've often heard it recently that the problem with having sex inside of a relationship that's not how God designed it isn't that it's so bad, it's that it's so good. Because sex designed, uh, God designed sex to be good. And the problem is, is when you experience something good, you're going to go, what's the problem? But if Scarlett would have kept drinking that salt water, she may have said, man, it's, just, it's water. I'm thirsty. I need something to drink. It's water. It temporarily seems to satisfy me because I'm so thirsty. But eventually she's going to keep running back to it. And eventually it would kill her. Eventually it would destroy her. And what happens is, is when we get into sexual relationships outside of a biblical godly marriage, we keep running back to it. And it keeps hurting us. It keeps ripping a part of us away. It keeps leaving us feeling empty and shameful and full of regret. And that is not how God wants you to feel. So it's a problem and it, it, it can really cost us a lot. And it can affect you whether or not you're the person who is lusting or someone who is uh, hurt by someone else who was lusting. So how do we receive the cure? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 again. And then we're going to go into chapter 7, verse 5. Paul says, run from sexual sin. Run from it. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. 
So you must honor God with your body. Now regarding the questions you have asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife. And each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill the wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's. The wife gives authority of her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of these relations unless you both agree to refrain from it. And so, first, I want us to look back at chapter 6, verse 18 here. Because we're going to see what the first cure for lust is. Paul says to run. Run away. And there are other times in Scripture when Paul is talking about different sins, and he says, stand firm, resist the devil. Right? Resist temptation. Stand firm in your faith. Don't back away. Stand firm, resist temptation. But with this one, Paul says to run. Run. Get away. Do not stand firm in the midst of lust. He says to run, to get away, and to keep running as far as you can from it. And he says because it's a sin like no other. And while a lot of sins that we can commit hurt and affect other people, Lust at its core ultimately affects us the most. It affects us the most. The second way that we can overcome lust and receive the cure is to understand your value. Understand your value. See, Paul in in chapter 6 says that you were bought with a high, high price through the sacrifice of of Christ. I want to do another example with you. I want you to hold up your phone. Mine's on, mine's on the tripod, or I'd hold mine up. I want you to hold up your phone. Now, one of the most common things between all of our phones may not be whether they're iPhones or not iPhones, but that a lot of iPhones, people put cases on them. And I'm going to argue that if you don't have a case, your screen's probably cracked. Here's the thing. Why do we put cases on our iPhone? To protect them. And don't use this as an opportunity to start texting. Hone in here. We're almost done. We put cases on our iPhones to protect them because we paid a lot of money for them. I have a case on my iPad. Because I spent a lot of money on this, and I don't want it to break. And now cases, by no means, make the iPhone look more attractive. If anything, I would argue a case on an iPhone makes it look far less attractive. I think an iPhone without a case is very pretty. Like, it just looks sleek. The design is great. Apple does a great job designing their products. And they look great without a case. The moment I put that case on, it just looks like it starts getting dirty. But here's the thing is that case has probably cost me or saved me from having to buy four or five different screens. 
You see, for a while, I was one of those people who said, nope, I don't need a case. Uh, cases are dumb. Why would I ever put a case on? And one time, I shut my phone in between my car and the trunk. Literally, the trunk lid went straight down through my phone. Had to replace the whole phone. Uh, there was a time that Joey flipped our canoe, uh, canoeing, and I had to get a new phone. There have been numerous times that I've dropped my phone, and the screen is completely cracked. I gotta go buy, spend a hundred bucks to get a new phone, and then when that screen goes out or doesn't work, I gotta spend another hundred bucks to get a brand new screen. And so, a case, while it's not attractive, saves you a lot of money. It protects it. And so, how do we receive this? It, I'm going to give you an answer many of you may not want to hear, and this applies to both guys and girls. I'm sorry, I I know a lot of times we feel like this applies mainly to girls, but, hey, it applies to guys as well just as much. And that's modesty. That's modesty. If you want to avoid lust, be modest. Be modest in what you wear. Be modest in what you look at. It goes beyond just the clothes that you wear. Be modest with what you look at, what you listen to. If you are listening to songs like WAP all the time, you're going to have no issue going and fueling and feeding your mind with lustful things. You're going to have no issue doing it. No issue. Dude, I like those shoes. They're pretty sweet. But you have to be modest. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing is people don't want to be modest because they don't think it's attractive. They don't think it looks good clothing-wise. They don't think it, it looks good from a popularity standpoint. But it protects you. It protects you. You know, uh, I heard a great example When it comes to understanding your value, and, and I think it's something many of you may, you, you may get this example really well because it deals with fishing. You see, there are, are certain types of fish. If you take a mackerel, for example, and if uh, Lawson's a fishing pro, so he may correct me if I'm wrong on this, but my understanding is that a fish like mackerel, you have to be really selective with the bait that you use because a mackerel is not going to just eat any bait that you give it. You have to be very specific and cautious about which type of bait and selective with the bait that you use. But there's other fish that, heck, you just throw the hook out there like a bass. You just throw the hook out there and it's shiny and they go, ooh, a hook. Let me eat it. And you catch it and you've caught that fish. So let me tell you something. What you throw out there will determine what you catch. What you throw out there will determine what you catch. And what you throw out there is completely dependent on how you see your value. Girls, my heart breaks. My heart breaks when I see a girl that feels like she has to attract a boy with her body. My heart breaks. Because that is not your value. And guys, it angers me 
angers me, infuriates me when I see a guy trying to catch a girl by her body. That is not the value that we should be assigning to people. Girls, guys, if you are trying, girls, if you're trying to catch a godly guy, you're not going to catch him with your body. You're not. You will catch him with your relationship with Jesus. Guys, if you want a godly girl, you need to stop looking for the body and start looking for the relationship with Christ. Let me tell you something. I'm going to pick on Elizabeth. She didn't know I was going to do this. I think Elizabeth is the most gorgeous person on this earth. But here's the thing. You know what attracted me to her? You know what the very first thing we talked about was? It was our relationship with Jesus. The very first thing that we talked about was our relationship with Christ. And had it been anything other than that, I wouldn't have caught her. And she'll tell you that. She'll tell you that. If I didn't have that relationship with Christ, she would have told me to take her home on the first date. Honestly. She told me because she did it to other people. (laughs) Because she was selective. She was selective, and because she was selective, she found what she was looking for. She wasn't looking for a godly guy by throwing herself out there. She guarded herself. I didn't find a godly woman because I was looking for physical attributes. I found a godly girl because I was looking for the relationship with Christ. Now, I got very lucky, and she's very attractive. So it worked out in my favor. But guys, girls, know your value. Know your value. Because you were bought with a high price that is worth protecting. You are way more valuable than an iPhone. And if your iPhone is worth putting a case on, you are worth guarding with modesty. You're worth it. The final thing is this, and then we'll close. If you want to find freedom from sexual sin, from lust in your life, you need CPR. You need CPR, and that's an acronym. I'm not saying you need to get on the floor and start having someone beat on your chest. You need CPR, and here's what, here's what CPR stands for. It stands for confess. In James chapter uh, 5, verse 16, James tells us that If we want to overcome the sin in our life, we need to confess it to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you want freedom from any sin, but specifically from sexual sin, you need to confess it. Because sin cannot exist in the light. When you bring it to attention, sin dies. But as long as you allow it to dwell inside of you unnoticed by other people, it will continue to grow. And it will continue to be a problem. So you need to confess and then you need to pursue. And you need to pursue Christ. And you need to pursue marriage.
Now, here's the thing. None of you are about to get married. That would be weird. You are too young for that. But you are not too young to begin preparing and pursuing that. Protect yourself and pursue that. Pursue that. Elizabeth did not just become selective in 2020. In 2019, she became selective, as far as I understand, in the eighth grade. And she made a list. Pursue it. Pursue a relationship with Christ. And start protecting yourself for and pursuing marriage. The third thing is this. Remove access. You got to confess. You got to pursue. You have to remove access. Instead of just paraphrasing what Matthew uh, 5 verse 28 says, I'm going to read it to you. And again, if you've noticed anything while we've been going through this series, it's we always end up back at Matthew chapter 5 for the solution to all of these deadly sins. We've always ended back at Matthew chapter 5. Here's what it says. This is Jesus speaking. I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now listen to this. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for your body to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying literally go gouge your eye out? No, I'm going to argue that he's not. But I'm going to argue that he's speaking to the severity that we need to be willing to go to to remove access from sin in our lives. So let me tell you something. If you struggle with, uh, we're going to use pornography, if you struggle with looking at porn on your phone, you need a flip phone. You need a flip phone. You do not need a smartphone. You do not need an iPhone. Because no matter how you've been trying, how hard you've been trying, or no matter how hard you are trying, you keep going back to it. You keep going to look at pictures on Instagram or videos on TikTok or viewing explicit websites. And you need a flip phone. You need to remove access. You need to remove access. If you're watching it on a computer, you don't need a computer. You need to remove access until you are well. You need to remove access until you have overcome that sin. At the very least, you need to go spend 100 bucks a year and download a software called Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes. I will tell you this, it's the best $100 I spend a year. It is the best $100 I spend a year. Covenant Eyes. And what Covenant Eyes does is a software. I, ha- I have it on my phone, on my iPad, and on my computer. And it watches everything that I view. Everything. Now, here's the thing is I've come to a place in my life where I've, I-, I can have 
an iPhone. I can have an iPad. I can have a computer. But there was a time in my life where I didn't need those things. See, when I got busted in ninth grade for watching porn, you know what my parents did? They took away my phone. They took away my computer. And it wasn't until that I had overcome those things that they gave it back. And covenant eyes is a beautiful thing. Because it's it's not just accountability on myself. There are people who are mentors in my life who can also see what I view. And they get weekly reports on everything that I've viewed. And they can go look at, it it randomly takes screenshots of my phone and of my computer and of my iPad. But that's how serious of a sin lust is. And that's how serious we need to treat it. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not willing to even bring down those those barriers to even risk letting that sin back into my life. I'm not. And so I'm willing to spend 100 bucks a year to make sure that that sin has no way of getting back in. Because it, it is a sin that took me to the darkest and deepest places of life that I never want to experience again. And so if that's you and you're like, hey, I'm struggling with this, Let's get you covenant eyes. Let's talk to your parents and get you covenant eyes. Or if you've got 100 bucks a year you can spend, let's get you covenant eyes. And let's put up those safeguards. Let's remove access. One of the biggest excuses we use in our life for not overcoming this is we say, well, I've already done it. I've already done these sins. I've already struggled with lust. And so what's the point? Don't let your past define your future. Don't let your past define your future. You can make a decision right here and right now that you are going to receive freedom for the struggles with lust that you have. Because if we're being honest, I would be willing to bet 99% of the people in here have struggled with lust in some way, shape, or form. And again, if you don't do it now, you're not going to do it when you get home. You're not. Be honest with yourself. But you need to overcome this. You need to receive the freedom that God desires for you because God doesn't desire for you to be bound by sin. He desires for you to live in freedom with him. He wants you to let go of your shame. He wants you to let go of your regret so that you can live in relationship as you were designed to, in freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for the time that we again get to spend together tonight. Lord, while this is... (laughs) By no means an easy topic for all of us to talk about. It's an important topic. I know it makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel uneasy. It feels awkward. And it really doesn't seem like a big deal in a lot of ways because it's all around us. But Lord, there's a reason that it's a sin like no other sin. And why you have described it as that. Why There's a reason why you have put 
context around how sexuality is supposed to be used, and it's because you want to protect us from the dangers that lie within it. And so, Lord, I pray tonight for anyone who who struggles with lust in any of, of the different ways that you can struggle with it, Lord, I pray that you would help them to overcome that tonight or that you would help them confess how they're struggling or that you would help them pursue a relationship with you or that you would help them identify where they need to remove access in their life. Lord, I pray that they would know that there's no shame in struggling with this. There's no shame in confessing it. There's no shame or embarrassment in receiving help for it. They don't need to feel regret because your love conquers all sin. So Lord, I pray for these students or that you would give them the strength in the midst of a society that just ambushes them with this. Lord, I pray that you would help them not to stand strong, not to face temptation, but to run. To run away and to run to you. Lord, I thank you for these students. I thank you for the love that you have for them. Lord, I pray as we go through the rest of this night, Lord, that you would speak to us that you would heal us, that you would call us into the freedom that you want us to live in. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, this is Nathan Sell, the youth pastor at Destin United Methodist Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. My prayer is that the Lord would use this podcast as an opportunity to speak life into you. I hope all of you know the love that the Lord has for you and that you are experiencing His blessings each and every day. God bless you and thank you for listening.